0: Church, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 6 this morning as we continue our series in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and with the Lord's Supper uh, today. Our kids are invited to remain right here with us for the duration of our service, but I want to begin by uh, sharing a a short story with you, particularly for you kids, but for, for all of us, and this story is credited... Uh, often credited to um, a character who's believed to live long ago, and that's Mr. Aesop. This is one of Aesop's fables titled uh, The Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. And so once upon a time there was a wolf who had a hard time satisfying his appetite for sheep because every time he came around the fold of sheep, the shepherds were keeping close watch upon the sheep. Until one day the wolf was walking about and he noticed a fine looking sheepskin that had been discarded and forgotten and so he got a clever idea and he put the sheepskin on and that night he wandered into the fold and he satisfied his appetite for lamb. Well the next night he tried to do it again and so he sneaks that next evening into The fold, but it just so happens that one of the shepherds that day also had an appetite for mutton and so he comes in and the first thing that he slays is not a sheep, but a wolf pretending to be a sheep. A lesson on the dangers of hypocrisy, the dangers of pretending to be something that we're not. That wolf got a bit of a surprise that And he was found out for being a farce. And in the words of Jesus that we're going to read here in just a moment, we're warned against pretending to be something that we're not. We're warned against hypocrisy. And one day, those who pretend to be the Lord's who are not are going to be found out by the chief shepherd. And so let's hear what Jesus has to say about this subject. And as you find your place there in Matthew chapter 6... Let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. Jesus says, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. Father, we thank you for these words of your Son, Jesus, who is our Savior, and so speak to us now through them. God, instruct us by your Spirit's presence through the reading and proclamation of your word for the glory of your name, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. You may be seated. We've been journeying through this portion of the Bible, we've been looking at at Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and, and earlier in this sermon, Jesus spoke some, some rather piercing words uh, about the, the kind of righteousness, the kind of goodness that's necessary to get into heaven. Remember what he said back, back in chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law... You will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. But these these guys, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, were were the religious leaders of the day. They were the Bible teachers, and Jesus issues a broad sweeping condemnation of their morality, saying they don't make the cut. Why? So I thought about that. It reminded me, even hearing my own kids talk, particularly my one of my kids my one of my boys talk about recess and playing sports at recess at school and remember picking teams. I don't know if you were part of that. Most of us have been part of, of picking teams uh for a recess activity at some point or another and often when kids are picking those teams think about the things that they're looking for. It doesn't matter what it is, if it's basketball, football, soccer, the things that they're looking for are well on one hand, you you're looking for someone who's really good, right, at that particular game. That's sport. On the other hand, perhaps we're we're torn at times, even as a child, we want our friend to be on our, our team. And so imagine a scenario where the best player is not chosen first to be on the team, perhaps not chosen at all to be on the team because that particular player really doesn't care about the team, not a team player, but pursuing his or her own on fame, this is sort of like what Jesus is saying here. There's a group of folks whose righteousness is all about impressing others. About seeking self-glorification rather than God's glorification. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now on the surface church if we if we read that too quickly what jesus says here seems to contradict what he already said what he said on just uh, the the page prior in chapter 5 verse 16 jesus said let your light shine before others let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven You see, to practice righteousness, chapter 6, verse 1, is to let your light shine, chapter 5, verse 16. So are we to live for Jesus in public or in private? Which is it? In our culture, people often say, if you want to get along, don't talk about politics or religion, right? So does Jesus support such a mantra, Is our faith to be so personalized and privatized that it's really just between Jesus and me? Is that what Jesus is saying when he warns to beware of public righteousness? And the answer, of course, is, is no. That's not what he's saying. The key to Jesus' warning here is the phrase, the particular phrase, to be seen by them. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them, to be seen by others. In other words, Jesus is warning. He's cautioning. He says there's a kind of religion that reads the Bible, prays the Bible, and appears to obey the Bible that's totally unacceptable to the God of the Bible. It's an outward religiosity that's not really about God, but it's about self. And so even though it has the appearance of being about God, it's actually a twisted form of self-idolatry. That's what Jesus seems to be condemning here. There's no place for such idolatry in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying this. He's saying that God rejects self-aggrandizing, hypocritical religion. God rejects self- aggrandizing meaning self-promoting hypocritical religion the kind of religion that's all about appearances about looking pious in front of people and so here in this particular subsection that Jesus now begins in chapter 6 verses 1 to 18 he addresses three prominent pillars of religious observance charity praying And fasting. And he says there's, there's a way of doing these things that's all about gaining a reputation for piety and such hypocrisy, such ostentation dishonors and deeply offends God. And friends, unfortunately, none of us are immune from this particular temptation. Our sin nature makes us susceptible to seeking personal promotion. There's, there's not a, one of us who isn't susceptible to the lure of the sin because the Bible says the heart is, is, deceit, is deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. You see, ever since the fall of the human race... Ever since the fall, we've had wicked hearts, hearts that choose sin, hearts that are tainted by pride. We, we want to be noticed. We want to be commended, right? We, we want to be praised, and yet it's precisely that twisted desire for self-promotion, for the adulation of others that precluded Lucifer's stay in God's paradise, that prevented Adam and Eve's stay in God's garden. And ever since Adam, our ancestor, and our representative rejected God, our hearts have deceived us, subtly spurring us, spurring us to put ourselves in positions only fitting for God. Now, the reality is I can't see your heart any more than you can see Mind, But there's one who fully sees our hearts. Jeremiah goes on to record the Lord's words. The Lord said, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Jesus is reminding us that God sees our hearts. He's not condemning public righteousness. That's not what it's about. He's not saying, make sure nobody knows that you help the poor. Make sure nobody sees you praying in public. That's not what he's saying. No, Jesus is calling us to check our motives and to pursue righteousness for God's glory alone, rather than adulation from others. And so his friends who've gathered this morning practice righteousness. That's what we're doing this morning. And rightly so. We've come together to sing and to pray and to confess and to hear and to participate and to respond. We're practicing righteousness this morning and rightly so. This is good. It's the right thing to do. But as people practicing righteousness this morning in this place today, Jesus calls you to check the motivation of your heart. Check the motivation of your heart. Why do you gather with God's people? Why do you sing? What possesses you to listen to a preacher proclaim God's word? Why is it you identify with Christ? What's your motivation? To give God the praise that he's due? Or to get recognition from others? Friends, we're commanded to practice righteousness, to do what's right. We're commanded to do this. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. A command to practice righteousness, to do what is right. Commanded to do what's right. But so often we're tempted to do right for the wrong reason. And the right thing for the wrong reason dishonors God. God sees our hearts. He sees our hearts, our sinful hearts. And so outward obedience alone remains insufficient to gain entrance into heaven. There's only one way in. We talk about it often. We need to continue talking about it often. We need to hear about it again and again. There's only one way in, and that's perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. Something none of us have achieved, but by God's grace, something we've been offered. Something we've been offered in Jesus Christ, the only man to never sin, and those who truly receive his righteousness, those who truly receive Jesus' righteousness in faith, trusting him as Lord and Savior, begin acting like their Savior. In other words, genuine disciples of Christ begin loving what he loves because they've encountered the God who loves them, and they want To live for Him. And so as an expression of that love, as an application of that love for God, they begin gladly giving to help others. The Bible says in Proverbs 19, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and He will reward them for what they have done. And so according to the scriptures, it's good to give. It's right to give. Because God cares about the poor, the people of God begin caring about the poor, not to feel better about ourselves, for that's pharisaical religion, that's spiritual play-acting. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus is teaching right here, that public charity for human applause dishonors God. Public charity for human applause dishonors God. That's what Jesus is saying here. Don't, Don't give to the church in order to be noticed. Don't volunteer at Jimmy Hale to go and go on mission trips and teach Sunday school so that others will think more highly of you. But do such things and others like them for the glory of God alone. So after stating the theme of a new section in verse 1 of chapter 6, God rejects self-aggrandizing hypocritical religion, after stating that theme in verse 1, Jesus then applies the principles That principle to the well-known act of righteousness known as giving to the needy or charity. And Jesus says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Some Bible Commentators, some Bible scholars note that the reference here to trumpets, announcing it with trumpets, might be an allusion uh, to the collection chests that were in the temple in that day, that uh, were sometimes called trumpet chests since they were trumpet shaped, with a wide opening at the top that narrowed at the entrance of, of the chest, uh, sort of like those uh, spiral uh, wishing wells. Uh, if you uh, have seen those or remember those, make. Makes giving rather fun, right? You put your coin in and you watch it go round and round and round all the way until it drops into the bottom. But some have noted uh, that these particular chests in the temple uh, would have uh, would, would have sounded an, an alarm, an, a noise uh, when, when change, when coins were tossed into them rather noisily. In other words, it would be noticeable. So perhaps Jesus is saying, uh, don't do such for show. Or other scholars have noted that trumpets were sounded on certain days, literal trumpets, as a request for alms giving, And some think that maybe large gifts may have been recognized with a special trumpet blast. Now either way, we don't, we don't know if that's totally true or what Jesus is alluding to here. But either way, Jesus' point is don't call attention to your acts of charity. It's not about you. And if it's about you, then what's meant to be a selfless act has suddenly become a selfish act of hypocrisy that brings no glory to God. I don't know about you, but this makes me think of giving campaigns that promise name recognition for large donors. Perhaps there's a time and place for such... In other arenas, but I dare say probably not in the kingdom of Christ. Probably not in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. For even though we're sinners, saved by God's grace, we're still sinners. Susceptible to desire our own glorification more than God's. And no doubt over the years I think of my own heart and hearing a text like this and warnings like this and knowing my own susceptibility to sin in this way. And how often in an activity, the activity that I'm doing right now and fulfilling an obligation to the Lord and to the church to preach God's word, sensing and wanting afterwards a sense of affirmation of others rather than affirmation from God. May we be a people who seek to honor the Lord for the glory of the lord alone or as we think about tonight as we think about sing the story in this time of celebration it's time of singing and playing by those that have spent hours preparing for such a celebration remembering that it's not so much a performance for people as it is praise to the almighty god so so what's the antidote what's the antidote to a faulty motivation what's the cure for this Well, what's the cure for wicked hearts that are bent in on themselves? Here's the answer, I think, and it's rather simple. It's knowing God. Respond to God's invitation to know Him. Let's respond to God's invitation to know Him. Not simply to know about Him, but to know Him. To to know God personally through Jesus Christ. Isn't that the invitation of the Gospel? Isn't that the call of the Scriptures? To know the Lord. To know the Lord who saves the sinners, to be in relationship with him, to be constantly looking to him and hearing from him and communing with him, to be satisfied with him. That's what Paul meant when he said everything else in his life, all his achievements and accolades and accomplishments, he said they're worthless compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And the reality is, the moment that we begin to neglect that relationship that he so graciously and lovingly initiated with us, the moment we begin to neglect him, we begin acting again as if things are all about us. And so friends, let's respond to God's gracious invitation to know him. Let's respond to his invitation to be his, to come into his presence, to abide with him. For his spirit uses our time with him to transform our hearts so that we begin to want to live for him. And notice here that Jesus says, uh, when you give, when you give. Likewise, he's going to say the same thing when he says, when you pray. And when you fast, it's assumed believers are going to help the needy. And according to some rabbis in that day, acts of charity, acts of of giving to help others, even provided a pathway to forgiveness of sins, a pathway to salvation. And we know that's not true. We we know we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone alone. It can't be earned. Meaning forgiveness is never a reward for good behavior. But according to Christ, God does reward those who follow Him. Friends, God graciously rewards those who help the needy for His glory. That's what Jesus is saying right here. God graciously rewards And by saying he he graciously rewards is saying it's, it's a reward that far outweighs the gift. It's still undeserved. He graciously rewards those who help the needy for his glory. God calls us to practice righteousness, to do righteousness. And one tangible way we do is by giving to those truly in need. Shining the light of Christ by sharing and showing the love of Christ, not for human applause, for that's If that's what we're after, human applause will be the only reward we'll ever get. But when you give to the needy, Jesus says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus essentially says, don't give to be praised by others and... Don't give to praise yourself. For the kind of righteousness God desires isn't the self-aggrandizing, hypocritical kind of outward show, but it's the other-serving, God-glorifying kind that flows from hearts that have been captured and captivated by the goodness and the grace of a heavenly Father who incredibly calls us His very own. And so, church, we give called to give we're commanded to give we're invited to give we we give we, we give in support of the church the relief of the poor and the spread of the gospel that's right out of our church covenant not for human applause be it our own or someone else's but for the father's glory so give for the father's glory Friends, let's be a people who give for the Father's glory. Why do we give? Why would we give? We give because we know the character of a giving God. A God who has called us to be his children. And Jesus says here, verse 4, Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so, church, we give because the eternal, almighty, almighty, all-powerful, ever-present, all-seeing, your God who sees what is done in secret, all-seeing God, has paved the way, provided the substitute, and opened the door for us to run into his arms as our father. And so, just as a child longs to honor his father, so children of God long to honor their father Friend, do you know the Father? Do you know the good and perfect Father, the Father who looked upon us, who saw our sin, and yet chose to send the Son to save us so that we could spend forever with Him? Paul would say it this way to the church in Corinth, For you know... You do know, believer, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Friends, that's the gospel. That's the good news of forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God, that's The good news that we have as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the hope that we have for eternity with Him. Riches with Him. Spiritual riches in Jesus Christ. And so as we prepare even now to participate in the Lord's Supper or communion once again, that in essence is what we're saying when we come to the table and we receive the elements. We're saying once again, we know. We believe and we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. And so this morning, as we prepare to come to the table, let me encourage you to spend some time honestly and openly and individually, alone with the Lord, acknowledging the riches of Jesus Christ, acknowledging the gift of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, recognizing that we serve a giving God who gave His Son for our salvation. So let's pause and do that together. Let's confess our sins to the Lord as we prepare for the table. Would you pray with me? Father, what a joy it is To hear from you. Father, what a joy it is to be forgiven of our sins. God, what a joy it is to know that you have provided the substitute, that you have paved the way, that you have given your son to be our savior. Grace undeserved. Love beyond measure. Father, we are unworthy. Forgive us for our sins. Assure us of your pardon. Lead us to faith in your son who is our savior. And so, Lord, as we come to the table this morning, lead us to do so with a sense of both reverence of unworthiness, and of joy, of excitement, knowing that we are yours, and that you call us to approach you confidently through the blood of Christ and speak to you as our Father. Father, thank you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. By This time, let me invite our, our deacons who are serving the Lord's Supper, if they would come to the table. And as they come, church and guests, believers, all believers, let me invite you in just a moment to come to the table to receive the elements, to take the bread, to take it and to eat it and to remember the body of Christ that was broken for you and to take the cup and to drink the juice and to remember the bloodshed of Jesus perfect lamb of God who takes away our sin. So if you're a believer, you're invited to the table. And as we've been doing, it will help us if you'll come to the table in front of your your section. And if you come uh, toward the center of the room and filter out, that'll help us in serving. So if you're in the center sections, if you'll come down the center aisle, if you're on the wings, if you'll come uh, toward the center and then filter back uh, toward the edge of the room. And if you prefer to be served where you are, or prefer prepackaged communion elements, uh, one of our deacons will be coming around and serving you as well. Uh, but at this time, let's give thanks once again, and then you come to the table. Father, we thank you for this gift. We thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice, Spirit. We thank you for your presence, your transformative work in our hearts, the conviction of sins, the assurance of salvation. And so, Lord, guide us now as we come to the table. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.